Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Michael Malice. He's an author, political commentator, and a podcaster. No matter what your political affiliation is, the ferocity of the press's approach to pretty much any story right now is quite intense. The volume seems to only get louder and louder as they try to maintain the same attention that 2020 gave them. I wanted to ask Michael just what is going on. Expect to learn what Michael thinks about the Canadian truckers' protest, whether Whoopi Goldberg deserved cancelling, why ambient anxiety is the outcome that the media wants, what's happening with Ukraine and Russia, how Michael ended up in Tesla's gigafactory at midnight, whether we're over-wokeness, and much more. You should be very aware that this Thursday, a pretty special episode goes up with Jordan Peterson, and you don't want to miss it. So hit the subscribe button, because it's the only way that you'll make sure that you know when episodes go live, and it supports the show, and it makes me very happy. So just take your thumbs for a walk and go and do it. I thank you. All right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce the costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you are improving efficiency by bringing all your business processes into one platform. Over 37 thousand companies have already made the move so do the maths and see how you will profit with NetSuite. Back by popular demand NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com modern right now. That's netsuite.com modern. But now please give it up for Michael Malice. Michael Malice, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chris. How are you? Are you missing me? Enormously. I text you all the time. Hurry back. Yes. Well, I'm back this week. You'll have me this week. That's phenomenal. Can't get rid of me. And then I'm going to see Jordan, Jordan Peterson over in San Antonio. What's San Antonio like? I've never been. It's very corporate. It's, it's, um, it almost feels like an 80s movie because there's all these tall buildings. There's one cool little river that runs through the city which is fun to kind of the river walk. But other than that, it's a very much a concrete kind of edifice. And San Antonio is a m- much bigger population in my understanding than Austin. <laughs> but there seems to be a bit of a um, soullessness to it. Yeah, that's kind of what I got from the outside, that it's, um, it's definitely a bigger sort of downtown area than Austin. But Austin's so distributed. We went for a walk through the burbs of Austin for two hours, and you realize yeah. it just stretches on and on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Have you been keeping up to date with the Canadian truckers' protest thing? Oh, yes. Not as much as other people, but most certainly. The honking will continue until freedom improves. So, yeah, I had this um, (laughs) chapter in my book, The New Right, that says meme magic is real. And I'm sure most people listening uh, have seen on social media that, uh, you know, in the last year or more, certainly, there's been this meme of clown world where people say something that's perfectly ridiculous and they're responded to with, uh, you know, a, a green clown cl- uh, pressing his nose. Or there's another meme where it's a, a lobster claw holding a clown nose saying, here, you drop this. So that had been a thing. And now literally, they're literally honking. <laughs> and there's people on Reddit having meltdowns uh, saying, like, I can't sleep. This is terrorism. Yep. Uh, and and you're exactly right. The honking will continue. And the thing that's I, I've made this point several times, and I'll make it again here, uh, especially with the British audience, that um, there is a misconception by conservatives, and I mean American conservatives. I don't know about uh, Tory conservatives in the UK, but that you know, you know, in America especially, there's different groups that the, the progressives latch on to to further their agenda. It's Muslim immigrants, it's transgender bathrooms one month or whatever, so on and so forth. And the point I always beat into their heads is they don't really care about these groups. This is just whoever is a useful tool at the moment. And as soon as that group is defiant in any way, 
this thrown into the rubbish bin, as you'd say. And the best example of this is, you know, here we have the center left party is the Democrats, obviously. There you guys have the Labour Party. But as soon as Labour starts being defiant, all of a sudden they're Nazis. And it's just a fascinating phenomenon to see. And I think it's just completely transparent how your measure of virtue as a, an interest group is directly correlated to how useful you are to furthering a certain agenda. Dude, that's so nailed it. Like, it, it, but, it, it's and, so uh, transparent. Just one more thing. It's, it, isn't that also what uh, broke down the so-called red wall in the last election, that these districts that had been uh, red labors, red is uh, um, more correctly than here we have here, red is labor uh, over in the UK. These were labor districts for, I think, almost a century that went blue. Yeah, and places like Hartlepool and Blythe that are both near me and where I've grown up, they are labor strongholds. Pitt Village, my granddaddy yeah. was a miner and he hated Thatcher and my daddy was a miner and he hated Thatcher. That ran on for a long time and then, you know, the left appears to be very much a sort of bourgeois, faux intellectual, this sort of middle class looking down on the underclass and the working class movement at the moment. And you're right, it's whoever's convenient. This is what Bridget said the other day, but she was actually taking the shot uh, from a different angle, talking about people that are on the right who are saying we care about women's rights because of these uh, trans people that are encroaching on them. She's like, you yeah, don't yeah. care about fucking women's rights. Yeah, right, you're correct. You don't yeah, care about it, them at it, all. It, it most certainly goes both ways, yeah. It's just a but convenient... There's a certain, but there's a certain irony in calling yourself labor and then telling people that the unions are Nazis. What is it in Canada? What's the... It's, have you got any idea it's how the it's... liberals. Right, okay. So they have the, the liberals... Uh, which is the center-left party. They have the conservatives, which is fairly recent because the progressive conservatives had imploded in the 90s. And then they have a party to the left, which is what, the New Democrats, I think they're called. Yeah, NDP. So those are like, what's that? The NDP, yeah. Um, so they're the real like hard leftists. Or there's, and there's also the Green Party, of course. The Trudeau has disappeared like Saddam. Did you see that? He's like fucking yeah, yeah. gone off I, into... My, understa <laughs> my understanding was he was on U.S. soil. Maybe. Yeah, I said that he should be, if he's on U.S. soil, they should send him to Gitmo. But not, let's not forget that he has COVID. So one of the problems that they've got at the moment is that truckers, 90% of whom are vaccinated, aren't agreeing to a vaccine mandate about crossing the border because presumably America is concerned about people with COVID crossing the border. And Trudeau, a man who has COVID, has potentially fled Canada uh, due to security concerns about this truckers' protest into the U.S., well, in his defense, if you've got a convoy full of Nazi truckers, as a black man, he's going to have to kind of do, do a reverse underground railroad. Because they'll see his skin and they'll judge him accordingly. <laughs> yeah, they got accused. Everything happened, right? First off, it was that they were actually everyone seemed to be kind of behind it you know it's a peaceful protest very polite and then as it picked up speed and you realize that the mainstream media was just going to start throwing every ism and ist that they could well whether... first they said that they they lied there was the uh, canadian news outlet um that's or from new brunswick i think it was where they're saying that uh they're protesting their working conditions so they just completely lied about what they were protesting um, then a couple of days ago, GoFundMe, as I'm sure people saw, just decided to seize all the money and said, we're going to send it wherever we want. And that was a huge backlash. And they had they actually refunded instead of seizing it. Oh, has, um, that, has that happened? Because I thought that they yeah. seized it and said they were giving it to particular worthy no, causes. No, no, it's, it's been resolved. It, 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 it's because because they have something called I think the issue was if I I double check me because this is kind of you see things on Twitter. It's kind of like Plato's cave. But my understanding was you were, people were going to call and ask for chargebacks. And when that happens, they're hit for each one with like a $15 fee. But also the public shaming was enormous. And I know some politicians got involved like, whoa, 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 whoa. you don't get simply to just oh, you, uh, you know, I'm contributing to the trucker as well. That's null and void, so this is going to go to, you know, Greenpeace. Whoever the fuck or... we want. Yeah. yeah There's yeah. A, a quote here. Uh, Organizers provided a clear distribution plan for the initial $1 million. This is from GoFundMe's 
uh, statement that was released earlier this week and confirmed funds would be used only for participants who travel to Ottawa to participate in a peaceful protest. Given how this situation has evolved, no further funds will be directly distributed to the Freedom Convoy organizers. We will work with organizers to send all remaining funds to credible and established charities verified by GoFundMe. All donors may submit a request for a full refund until February 19th. So that was they were giving people two weeks to get on and order a refund, but it seems now because of the backlash that they've just yeah. done all of it. Which, I mean, it's strange that that somehow feels like a victory because the anchoring point has been set. So, oh, at least they didn't steal it and give it to another charity. Well, no, they shut it down and didn't give it to the people it was supposed to go to. I would I would say the victory here is that their machinations are made public because this permanently establishes the brand as ideologically driven. Um, it would be one thing if they had said disingenuously that we're not giving this to the convoy because it's, the convoy is being run by white supremacists and we stand against white supremacists. It would be a brazen lie, but that would be something that would make sense. This is just, they said, well, it's not organized, it's no longer classified uh, by whom? As a peaceful protest, it's classified as an insurrection. Therefore, we can't take part in insurrection. Great, send the money back. Um, but I, I think this is a very healthy and necessary step forward in our cultural bifurcation. And there's one, it, what's really funny is there's an enormous movement that's insisting that everyone takes sides. And this has been going on at least since 2015. And the sides are the good guys or the Nazis. And then there's plenty of people who are saying, screw you, I'm not with you. And they don't, but we said, if you don't side with us, you're Nazis. Like, cool story, bro. Um, and therefore, they're forcing people to view things uh, as in-group and out-group. And that's causing the out-group to form alternative mechanisms. And then they're pulling their hair out. It's like, how dare you? You're supposed to be in our group as subordinates. So this is something that's going to happen increasingly. And it's something that needs to happen. Uh, and the idea that there's one agency, whoever it is, who gets to define, you know, these riots are peaceful and, you know, these truckers are insurrectionists. Uh, and, you know, it's very clear how the cards are going to fall. I'm shocked to how quickly people have grown wise to how the game is played. Because you don't have to have any opinion on Canada or the truckers or really GoFundMe to know how this movie plays out. Is it not more hatred of the working class again, though? Look at these idiot, uneducated truckers that don't know what's best for them. Don't worry, you should be listening to us, the people who are actually in positions of power, the ones that are educated enough to make decisions about you. You know, it was okay for you to have your little protest for a while, but when it starts to perhaps make genuine change... We are a lot less happy about that. And you think, well, hang on, these the the working class that you're supposed to represent, they're telling you. Like they're they're literally telling you. People aren't deciding to go out into the middle of the Canadian winter and it looks fucking miserable. It looks so miserable while whatever it is that they're doing, yeah. and people are setting up pizza ovens and soup kitchens and they're standing guard around a statue of a one legged man because it got desecrated a couple of days ago. They're not doing that because they're bored. But that takes an awful lot of effort to go and do something like that. So this is the working class telling you what they feel. So no, they're not. So the argument is they've all been brainwashed by the forces of evil. Somehow Trump's probably involved. So they don't really recognize them as having agency when they're being defiant. And the issue with defiance is now the entire population which had been docile and submissive because they were told and reiterated that they have no choice, that we have to make these hard decisions in order to save everyone's lives. Now to have a large group of people say, hold on a minute, there are other ways to go about this. This causes people who prefer safety to liberty, enormous psychological distress because everything in their mental makeup is about um, giving up choice and having options in favor of being told what to do for the sake of security and safety, which has not at all been guaranteed to them whatsoever, but they can act as if it has been. There's a guy who called into a show that I listened to saying that he hasn't had sleep in nearly five days now because of this honking. And that's the other side of it where you go, okay, like that bit does suck. I've been kept awake by loud noises previously when I've been in cities and it really is quite bad. 
I don't really know what you're supposed to do about that. I, I don't believe him. I, it's not because of the honking. It's because of his neurosis. So what COVID did very effectively was to allow uh, highly educated uh, urban people, which tend to correlate very well with uh, mental illness, such as anxiety and depression and other sorts of neurosis. This gives them an external source to blame for their issues. So instead of, you know, I'm suffering because, you know, of me, I'm suffering because everyone's suffering. Uh, so if you, just because there is a cause for something, that does not mean that the response is proportional or a direct, uh, a direct result of that cause. Uh, I don't believe it's not possible that sure. I, I'll believe him that for five nights, his sleep was poor, but you know, it go, I, I have very little sympathy for him. Yeah. And, the, and the thing is, it's very important. You, you also remember that in this kind of culture, being a victim is a high status marker. So the more you demonstrate that you personally are suffering as a consequence of bad people, the more virtuous there accordingly you, you can claim yourself to be. I read a study the other day about people who are open about past lives of victimhood uh, on dating profiles and how people respond to that. So a lot of the time, typically people are positively inclined to the zero to hero story. And we see this get manipulated with um, training plans, right? Here's a before person who oh, yeah, was yeah. out of shape and here's an in-person that's in shape. And yes, you know, those are the sort of Instagram posts that get loads of likes. Um, interestingly, on dating apps, somebody that puts, I used to be a victim, but now I have overcome my past traumas and I am better or whatever, uh, that doesn't get, that is negatively correlated with likes on uh, dating apps. So there is something in there. Maybe there's a still a sense of sort of the cursed child type thing. The fact that something that was wrong with you in the past is it's almost like a a biological concern about somebody that was maybe diseased. That's how Rob Henderson put it across. That perhaps there's something that we concern this may come back. There's something icky as well that people have in response, and I've seen this happen online with somebody that opens up about depression. No matter how open the conversation about mental health gets there's still always a little bit of just ick that sometimes happens that i see from people in their responses when others open up about it don't you think it's because depression is i'm using this word very loosely contagious like when we're around depressed people it does not it, it's it it's draining perhaps uh, but is victimhood the same past victimhood i've overcome my traumas well, I think on dating apps, the, I, and I'm completely talking out of my ass, but uh, it, there might be a gender issue, right? So if it's a man who the first thing he says is how he was victimized, I think women might be perceiving him as weak. And if a woman is talking about how she was a victim, men uh, who already are predisposed to this are going to perceive her as either high maintenance or, cra or crazy. Um, and this is really, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, someone who has had past trauma and I've talked about this on Rogan and other episodes, that's quite an icebreaker. Uh, and I think that, that, is, that is still correctly kind of a social taboo. If this is something you, if I meet you at a bar or a party, and this is one of the first things you tell me in five minutes, that's going to tell me, wait a minute, something is wrong here. That is something, if I got to know you more intimately, even just slightly into me, like an hour into a conversation, oh, you know, as a kid, you know, I grew up with an alcoholic mom, then, oh, okay, you know, that's fine. But if this is front and center, why is it important for you to be telling me this uh, that's, right up front? Dude, that's really smart. So what you're saying, uh, the fact that you have labeled yourself as it undermines the fact that you say you've transcended it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a really fucking good insight. I'm going to send that to Rob. How closely are you following this Russia and Ukraine situation? You, were, you grew up in Lvov, right? I grew up in Brooklyn. I was born there. Born, born um, in Lvov. Yeah. Are you keeping your uh, eyes have, on this? No, very little. I am. What, what, the one thing I have noticed um, is it's. I'm very disturbed by, of course, the war drums. Uh, you know, uh, Putin's no joke. Russia's no joke. And the Ukrainian president, from my understanding, went on the air and said, the media is blowing this out of proportion. Things are not getting demonstrably worse. Uh, calm the hell down. So, and I also think if there's something anathema, at least in American media, about seeing things from other countries' perspectives. 
because uh, we're the good guys and whatever we do is right and they're the bad guys and or the weak and uh, suck it up. And if you are going to go to any country and put troops on the foreign troops on the border to expect that other country to just kind of be like, oh, it's America, they're the good guys, but, you know, this is fine, it, it is bonkers. Same uh, with British troops, you know what I mean? You're going to get British troops in, in, you know, on the border of India. The Indians are going to be like, hold on a minute, we've been through this before. What do you think is going to happen? Roll the clock forward. Um, I, I'm sure that there, there always is in the U.S. and, you know, very notoriously, this is the only quote from Eisenhower that people know, you know, he warned about the military industrial complex. There is an enormous amount of profit to be made and a lot of power to be gained when a nation is at war. It does well for the president in terms of approval ratings. Uh, the nation rallies around and in times of conflict, uh, they get to go to the funerals and look as, at heroes uh, with all these coffins that didn't need to be there. Um, you get to kind of seem strong. So there is an enormous incentive, um, you know, for Washington to have war. And in case people think, oh, you're talking crazy, keep in mind that last summer we killed a bunch of kids uh, in Afghanistan. And not only did no one apologize, no one was even fired for it. So human life means absolutely nothing uh, uh, to the federal government. And if it can be leveraged anyway to further the government's agenda, they'll be happy to do so. Um, I think Putin sees Biden as weak. Uh, certainly Biden is in a weak position given a 50-50 Senate, given a five-seat majority in the House, which is 435 members total. Um, I, uh, I, w I don't know what's going to happen. I am concerned, uh, but I'm most concerned that there is an enormous incentive among American media and American politics to make this a bigger deal than it is. So it could be something like, you know, they take some town, which is not acceptable, and Ukraine and Putin would prefer to be like, all right, pay us off, you get the town, or something like that, and the US insinuates itself, goes, no, 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 NATO, we're gonna protect borders, blah, blah, blah. So it's very easy to imagine a situation where the Americans make it infinitely worse. And Boris is also embroiled now as well. I, I don't think he's long for this world. I don't see how he survives this. You think? Well, I mean, isn't it? Aren't all the tour? I mean, Theresa May, my God, talk about a, <laughs> a talk about a vampire rising from the grave. She went up on that floor and she nuked him. I mean, she's been Lady Macbeth. She's been holding that Lady Macbeth. She's been holding that knife for a long time, and she got him good. So I know had, as a lady who had to go, I know when it is time to go. She said that? Yeah. No, she didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't see that clip. I just saw him. She's like, which is it? Did you not believe in these rules or did you believe in them and not care about them? I was like, holy crap. And she's right. There's a bit where she, she said, as someone who had to go, I know when it is time to go. Holy crap. <laughs> but the thing is, he had four ministers quit. It's just nowhere near um, you know, enough, man. There's not going to be... I, I don't think that... The only way that this is going to happen is if the next general election looks like he is too toxic to get the Conservatives across the line. And that seems unlikely, given the fact that they just had the biggest landslide victory in 30 so years. So Labour is now seven points ahead in all polls. So if you look at... Uh, Wikipedia has opinion polling for the next UK general election. You can see that it, it's a giant X... So you had a big line, conservatives labor, then they tied, and now Sir Keir is way ahead in every single poll. So, you know, the same thing with Thatcher. The, you know, the reason Thatcher got kicked out by her own party, people in America couldn't wrap their heads around it, is because by that point, one of the reasons, by that point in the polls, like, labor was shellacking them, and any politician is going to look out for his own seat or her own seat, first and foremost. And also, in, in all fairness, it's embarrassing. If I'm a Tory you know, minister or Tory backbencher for me to campaign to put Boris Johnson back in number 10. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I couldn't see my mom at a funeral. He's having keggers and whatever gin, I don't know, pims uh, at number 10. And I'm supposed to vote for you. And I, I would feel humiliated. Yeah. Because it was so gratuitous. That's, I don't know. I, it, it really does. I don't know whether it's a flaw in the, the current system, and this probably plays into your hands quite nicely that so much of an entire party 
hinges around one particular individual at the top. The fact that Boris doing something which, yeah, is a prick thing to do, but it's something that your fucking next-door neighbour could have done. It's not actually to do with his deployment of his duties. It's to do with the way that people perceive his personality, the way that he conducts himself. Yes, it was on government property that he was having these parties, but also it's not really to do. It wasn't like he was lying to the fucking House of Lords or some shit. Um, it, It feels like a weakness because obviously within the system, attacking that person and making degrading their particular value has a cascading outsized effect across however many hundred of different constituencies there are. Yeah, that, that was a result of the later Thatcher years when she very much made it much more of a presidential model uh, than a parliamentary, parliamentary model. Uh, like all her original people kind of kind of left. She would left left with like kind of second tier nobodies who were only there by virtue of her personality uh she was very much the face of the british government whereas previously it was much more you know you had the home minister home secretary you, you had the labor education secretary whatever they were and they kind of took questions and very much managed their own portfolios which is why you'd have a government which would have you know some uh people who are secretaries are more conservative some more liberal in both parties but with her, when she became this kind of big international force, it really and Tony Blair did this as well. Um, it very much became, you know, that person becomes the face of Her Majesty's government, especially internationally. Um, and it was a big sea change in in UK politics. And it also doesn't hurt when Boris does have such a big you know, flamboyant appearance and flamboyant personality. Uh, this was an issue in terms of him uh, getting in, you know, uh, was he going to be able to give Theresa May run for her money? He chose not to run at the time. But, you know, this is when you have someone who's kind of this either uh, large in life personality or if you don't like him, a buffoon, you know, this becomes. And this was also an issue for Corbyn because, you know, the the issue, the question was, do you want to put Jeremy Corbyn in number 10. Uh, it very much nationalized and personalized the, the last election. And thankfully, the, the British voters resoundingly said no. Well, a lot of the time, people don't vote for parties, they vote for people. And yeah. that cult of personality thing, yeah, it's just the way it is. Finishing off that, what we were talking about to do with Russia, I'd pulled this piece out that just the language that's used when you were talking about um, escalating or uh, increasing, exaggerating the sense of... Um, vociferousness in the situation international diplomatic efforts going on amid uh, military tension between russia and ukraine uh, diplomatic efforts uh, continued on tuesday's u.s secretary of state anthony blinken spoke with the russian foreign prime minister and the british prime minister they had a discussion with the ukrainian president emphasized that further invasion of ukraine would be met with swift and severe consequences and urged russia to pursue a diplomatic path according to a u.s state department uh, statement The Ukraine Prime Minister said he hopes the country will be able to launch a new regional format of cooperation, Ukraine, Poland, UK, and that in context of ongoing Russian aggression, we should sign a trilateral document on cooperation to strengthen regional security. The Russian president on Tuesday said the Western powers are ignoring Moscow's security concerns and using Russia as a tool to contain Russia, using Ukraine as a tool to contain Russia. Yeah, so look at it from Putin's point of view, right? Which is, oh my God, how can you say that? Like, I'm against Ukraine. You know, we've had, let's say, rivalry, to put it mildly, uh, for centuries. And now Ukraine's calling in Britain for backup. And they're they're not only saying this just theoretically, we're going to sign a treaty that if anything happens, you've got the entire force of the UK that are going to be on the border with, with, with Russia. Of course, Putin's not going to like this. Now, you could, it's kind of who started it. But at a certain point, if you're going to talk diplomacy, you have to recognize both parties have legitimate concerns. Neither one is, is de-escalating the situation, right? If he's putting troops on the border and you're responding with Ukrainian troops and here come the Brits and the Americans aren't far behind, you know, sure, he's going to back down. But then you have to wonder, wait a minute, if I'm going to back down here, what's going to stop you guys from further you know, pushing your luck uh, in terms of areas that historically may have not belonged to Russia? Mm. What were your thoughts on the Whoopi Goldberg fallout this week? Uh, I didn't. I, I thought she Whoopi Goldberg is a philo semite. I, I did a project with her. She's very pro Jewish uh, in her personal life. Um, she's not an anti semite at all. It's crazy. I think she was just saying something 
kind of awkwardly, meaning the Holocaust wasn't. And again, I could I could be putting words in my mouth. Maybe I'm being too generous in my interpretation of her, of her comments. But I thought she was saying the Holocaust isn't about race when she said it's about man's inhumanity. Man, this is a much bigger issue than mere racism. This is something that is primal and central to our understanding of human nature. And I don't understand what suspending her for two weeks accomplishes. Uh, I, this, of course, genocide is an issue that should be treated carefully. When we're talking about murdering children, it's not the same as discussing tax rates uh, or you know what kind of hard-boiled eggs we should have for breakfast or whether those are healthy or not. But I think she was speaking in good faith. Um, I think she got left out to dry is my understanding because she did what ABC told her to do to go out and apologize and they still punched her after it, for which my understanding, the reports are saying uh, she was furious. Whoopi is, even though she's hard left, often an unorthodox thinker. She spoke out how she defended George W. Bush in terms of immigration. She's against the uh, death tax, which we have here. Um, so, and she's often, I think I've seen her, I think, speak to Hannity. I know she's spoken with hardcore conservatives who other people regard as radioactive. So I, I don't see what, the suspending her will gain, um, except just make the issue radioactive as opposed to an issue that should be treated with decorum. I don't think that her apology on the nighttime did her very many favors. She sort of entered it and it was okay. And then by the end of it, she she didn't really actually apologize. She basically said, I'm sorry if you misinterpreted what I said, which is just the shittiest fucking way to do an apology sure. ever. Like that was really poorly played. But I also agree. I, I think that it didn't seem to me like she was trying to, like she had a, a lack of sympathy, particularly for that. It was right. just very, very poorly worded. And it's the fucking view. Like, this is supposed to get you ready for picking the kid, drop, you've dropped the kids off at school and you come back and you why is this even a topic for them to discuss? Well, well they do, they have the, because they have these issues all the time. But I mean, you if you suspended everyone from the view, when they had a poorly thought out, poorly articulated opinion, you wouldn't have a show. I mean, this is the show well, wasn't, where I, wasn't where, Sharon Osbourne cancelled from the show for defending the, Piers Morgan. That's the talk. Oh, so the talk was a ripoff show of the View. It's basically <laughs> the identical show, and she was yeah, she got cancelled for for saying you know Piers might have a point that Meghan Markle might be a sociopath, which her own family, bear you in mind, had said. Now, it, it, which is it's just so insane. That, the other thing about that's great about The View, side note, is uh, Meghan McCain has a pathological hatred of the British, and it comes out whenever these topics come out. So there had been issues where they were talking about like Prince Harry, and she's like, my great-grandparents didn't fight the Redcoats for me to sit here and care about the effing British and screw them. I don't have an opinion. And she just goes on these bizarre rants whenever the UK uh, royal family comes up. It's just beautiful. Well, I'm, talk um, I'm talking to Megan McCain. She's got a new book out soon. I'm talking to a publisher about bringing her on, but now I've got second thoughts about that. <laughs> I'll DM her right now and tell her. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah, man, I just, there, there feels like there's a thread between all of the things that we've seen at the moment, whether it be the Rogan situation, the Trucker situation, the Whoopi Goldberg situation, everything is at maximum volume the whole time. And what everyone is searching for is this is the tip of the iceberg that shows us the remainder of your reprehensible personality. This one thing was a slip up that you did that was maybe a small error or whatever, uh, but it's indicative of the fact that you fundamentally are a, a bad, horrible, racist, misogynist, whatever person. And I think I, I don't know whether I can lay it at the feet of the left or sort of woke ideology overall, but it certainly seems like with the situation with Whoopi Goldberg, a lot of people on the right saw this as an opportunity to be like, right, let's give them a taste of their own medicine if they are going to demand such what we feel are overblown responses to some of the things that we don't think are egregious, when the people on the left decide to make this much of an error, we're going to try and throw the kitchen sink at it. Yeah, but it didn't work. So what does that gain you? Um, so I, I, that's number one. And number two is, I think that I agree with you what you're saying in terms of tip the iceberg. But what I think the issue is, as COVID is receding as an excuse 
for uh, cultural and social control and political control, both by media outlets and governments, they need a new excuse in order to have, you know, total domination over people's lives. And it's going to be really hard to find one because a pandemic makes sense. This is something that affects literally everyone. This is something where you can only have quite limited control in terms of how it spreads. It's a virus quite literally goes viral. Um, but if you're going to pivot from that to kind of white supremacy, first of all, that's less tangible. Second of all, the number of people who identify as white supremacist is virtually nil. Uh, and it's very hard to to tell these truckers, for example, who are like, you know, I don't believe in these mandates. Well, the only reason you care about that is white supremacy. It's like, well, the, the, the white supremacy is I'm driving through the snow and putting my life in danger all the time because this is the most dangerous job on earth. So it, it's it, they don't know where to pivot from, uh, you know, the last couple of years where they've had a great excuse to completely control every aspect of people's lives. So there's a degree of anxiety that needs to be broadcast. And Correct. If you're unable to keep that with one very large warhead, you need multiple smaller ones to try and contribute to it. But which are it's but it's nowhere near as effective. I mean, it's one thing to kind of you know nuke Hiroshima. It's another thing to be a sniper. It's just like sure the sniper is going to make people scared, but it's nowhere near as unconditional surrender. Dude, I've just thought of something. So you know how a lot of the time people get. Uh, one of the concerns that you have from more libertarian or conservative type people is that during a crisis, the government is then going to overstep and a lot of the rights that they seize from you during this time of emergency are ones that you don't get back. What, right. you, what it sounds like you're saying here is that there is an equivalent with the media, that the media raised the water level of the neuroticism, the anxiety, the ambient anxiety that pervades through everything uh, and sort of the volume of vitriol that is in the press. And they also aren't keen about Correct, allowing that. Dude, the that's such much, a fucking interesting model to think about. The, the media are much worse than the governments. And, and we know this because let's suppose I was a Democratic governor or a labor minister, whatever, in the UK. And I looked at the data and I say, wait a minute, there's nothing behind this social distancing. This is nonsense. Like, where's the six feet coming from? How the hell is that going to prevent anything? And okay, theoretically, you're saying it's going to prevent it. Well, it's not working. Because, you know, we had social distancing, COVID still spread everywhere. If I said this on television, I'd be out of office. Because immediately, every outlet from left to right would be like, uh, you know, shadow minister malice doesn't says social distancing doesn't work. He wants us to, oh, he clearly wants us to die. He's not following the science. This guy's a lunatic. Why is he opening his mouth? Look at all these people saying this. If social distancing, and side note, if social distancing was efficacious, why are we bringing it back? And if we're not bringing it back, why do we do it to begin with? That's a separate note. But I would not be in a position as a politician to question this. And we know this because, you know, people call Gavin Newsom, who is a governor here of California, who was caught having dinner while social distancing rules were in effect. And there are many other such cases where, you know, politicians were just basically being hypocrites. They knew, but in their defense, what were they supposed to do? They, they had no choice but to follow this drumbeat, as you were saying, of ambient anxiety. Dude, that's such a good concept to keep in mind. That This is what conservatives get wrong. Conservatives are think that the enemy are uh, the Labour Party or the Democrats here, and we're going to kick Joe Biden out of office, or we're going to be Jeremy Corbyn, blah, blah. That That's not the issue when you have... Jeremy Corbyn is the tail. Joe Biden is the tail. The corporate press are the dog who are wagging that tail. Fuck, man. I'm not going to be able to get that out of my head. But it's, you cannot see it. Another example I used a couple of years ago was, let's suppose I'm a Democratic politician and I think Trump is dividing America. I think he's completely either a racist or he's uh, fuming the fuels of racism to further his agenda. And I think he's an ass and I think he's an educator and I think he's boorish. I think he has no business being in the White House. But I don't think he should be impeached or removed from office from a dopey phone call where he was fishing for something. That the, uh, impeachment has never, no one's been removed from office before. Uh, this is, does not reach that level. I can't, as a Democrat, go in front of my constituents who heard four years of Russia, 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 and Trump collusion and keep my seat. I did not have that freedom. So it's very clear who's in charge of whom. Dude. Do you follow? Am I wrong? No, you're not. And it's 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 just when you see something that ties all of the threads together, that's like a common 
a, a single concept like that, that the goal of the press is to keep the volume high. That's yes. actually what they're trying to achieve. And it explains why so many topics recently have been overblown. When you see, like, why the fuck? Endless, endless stories in mainstream media about Rogan, about who he's had on the show or about what he said in the past or about whatever, and then reactions to the reactions. And then has the, the White House said something or the Canadian truckers, or just pick whatever it is. Because you're right, you know, if you've got a huge, huge vat of anxiety to fill and the pandemic starts to slowly get lifted out of that. So the the question that I have that I always come back to, and it's the one that I keep on asking you about, is what is the end goal? Is it just that greater fear brings greater control? It, it gives you power. It gives you strength. It gives you money. And it gives you a status. Because now everyone's looking to me to make decisions. Uh, so that's good for my ego and my status. And it also, uh, for many of the audience, it rationalizes their um, mental disquiet. Uh, now, because they're, they're filling a need as well. So they're not cr only creating a need, they're also filling a need um, among you know, educated, urban, uh, wealthy people who are kind of disquieted by their nature. Do you follow Ayala Girl on Twitter? A-E-L-L-A. A-E-L-L. -L -L. No, I never heard her. Okay, so she's part of, I guess, like, tangentially on the rationalist community. She's pretty interesting. She's written a lot of blog posts about how to maximize money on OnlyFans, but she's also big into philosophy and stuff as well. She's quite interesting. Anyway, she she put this tweet out the other day that I thought was really cool. Uh, last year, my roommates and I had fun... It's, wait, wait, she's in Austin, and it says she her, her, her Twitter biography simply has the word whore lord whore lord yeah 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 uh yeah she's interesting man she's worth a follow um but she put this tweet up the other day that said last year my roommates and i had fun gambling with gamestop one day i woke up and said you know it's weird i just don't feel interested in gamestop anymore and my roommate heard that and immediately sold right before the crash i'm sort of having this feeling with woke stuff there's something like it's just not interesting anymore I think part of me believes that big institutions don't really take it seriously. Scott Alexander echoed this in a recent uh, Astral Codex 10 blog post, and I agree. It feels like I never actually run into woke people now. It's just not trendy. And this, I, I don't know how true this is, because I've never really seen it other than on the internet. So, you know, the libs of TikTok type videos that get captured and then put online, or a Matt Walsh Ben Shapiro reaction video, like I'll see those. So that was only my, my only ever introduction to it but i think that there's definitely something to be said for endless satire and mocking being really really effective as a tool to make something so contaminated and toxic to be associated with that people no longer want to do it because you can try and litigate something out of existence but it's really hard to do that you know to somehow try and top down it but if you make it so uncool to be associated with just through like effective satire and mockery People are just going to drop it like a, a hot stone. They don't want to be associated with something that lowers their status. Well, it's also kind of being a tryhard, right? So it's whether it's a bodybuilder, right, or someone who has a lot of makeup but also a full beard. At, when you glance at this person, rightly or wrongly, a lot of people like you are spending a lot of time on your appearance to create a reaction on site when people see you. And I don't care what it is, but I'm not interested in learning more. Now, this is a prejudice that is incorrect. There's lots of people in both of those groups I mentioned who are quality people that you would learn a lot from. But when you are presenting yourself in a certain specific way that takes a lot of work and is several standard integrations away from what is considered you know, acceptable or normal, whatever bad word you want to use, this is going to make people simply like, okay, here we go, right before they meet you. Um, and... I disagree a little bit because corporate America is where things go to die. Uh, you know, they appropriate things from the fringes, they swallow them and they excrete them in a manner that's palatable to the masses. So we've got a ways to go before this kind of is gets through the corporate kind of digestive system. Um, and you know, the thing that people, no one has as much contempt for corporate America as I do. But what people need to appreciate is they're often very bandwagon. These are not very bright. Like someone will read an article in Bloomberg or Fortune, some 
60-year-old exec about, oh, this company got a lot of free publicity from a viral video. Okay, we need to make a viral video. Now it's like, what was it? Was that? And it's like, well, I read this article, or like, we need to have a blog. This was a thing, or we should have a Twitter. Now, now, if you sat him down and said, hold on, we make nails for kind of industrial concerns. Why do we need a Twitter? Um, hell, why do we need a Twitter? Did you not see this article from Fortune? It says this company's you know uh, profits increased by ten percent thanks to their social media. What are you, an idiot? So I remember very much that. Uh, and this is obviously a, a poor example, but it was a telling one. Trump show The Apprentice, and there was some detergent commercial detergent. Let's I don't even remember what it was. Let's say Tide or whatever. And the task for both teams was create a viral video. And Perez Hilton was the judge, right? The blogger Perez Hilton. And one team brought in a bunch of little people and like the little persons in the washing machine, and they're running around. And I don't remember what the other team did, but it was something silly and goofy. And Perez is like, these are great. Like, I would share this with my friend. Like, they made a viral video. And then Trump, who's the host, sat down with the execs, and they were livid. They're like, this is a family product, and you're making, like, you're being silly. Both of these are completely unacceptable. So what he wanted was, like, a commercial of mom using the detergent and now the detergent cleans the clothes and for some oblivious reason everyone is sharing this and he had no concept of what a viral video was so they'll they'll be for this woke stuff but th these people are often effectively mindless they'll just see some article and be like oh okay diversity and inclusion you know helps company gain market share okay we need that and what that means is we're going to hire a black lady i mean they're they're Dumb beyond dumb. Uh, and that's why I'm so confident that the good guys are going to win. Half of it is probably forward-thinking, aggressive, growth motive. But maybe even more than that, to me, feels like fear you know, of oh, the yeah. companies that have done this. It's a fear of what happens if you don't. Uh, not right. Most companies were posting the black square because if you didn't, the repercussions were grave. Look at, look at CrossFit. Yep. Fuck, man. I had... So I had Ben Bergeron on, who is the coach of Matt Fraser and Katrin David's daughter for a good period of time, two of the fittest athletes on the planet. He ha owns CompTrain and CrossFit New England in Boston. And I had him on, and I was asking about the recent cancellations that have occurred. So Greg Glassman, who is the founder, he tweeted some stuff that was inappropriate last uh, two years ago now, instantly gone. A big bunch of people went with him, but there was one guy left, Dave Castro, director of the CrossFit Games, the guy that writes the workouts for the Open. So arguably the most influential and important person in all of CrossFit HQ. He's got, he used to be a Navy SEAL, very no bullshit, very straight down the line, kind of puts some people off, but a real character, right? Like a, not the same as this, but he, he is a figurehead in the same way that perhaps an Elon Musk would be a figurehead, right? That he yeah. is, he adds to the brand with the way that uh, he puts himself across. And sure enough, he three weeks ago, posts on Instagram that he's been notified that his services are no longer needed, but he found out essentially through a news article and that the guy that had taken over Greg Glassman, the original owner's role, this Eric Rosa dude, had spoken to him and said, yeah, we uh, we, we sort of don't need you anymore, uh, even though this guy is very, very, very legit, probably one of the best programmers on the planet. And the reason that I think he went is he was the last vestige of the old guard, the final yeah. people that were in this company. And he's a risk to have somebody like that now within a company who will speak their mind, who doesn't really care about adhering to whatever the new doctrine and the new ideology is. Having that person is rolling the dice every time that you let them say something on a microphone. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, and so it's, um, and, and there's many cases like that. Uh, and that's the other thing I, I, I worked at, um, Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan, the, you know, there was this kind of myth or maybe it was the facts that you, back in the day, you were a company man, you worked for a company, they took care of you and, and, you know, you would stay the middle of life. The lack, the amount of loyalty these firms expect and the zero loyalty they have in return, the fact that he had to find this out from an article instead of him being given a big celebratory, safe public face saving, like, you know what, I'm moving on to form my own venture. Thank you, CrossFit. Thank you 
for helping us. Be, you know what I mean? These are really nasty, uh, despicable, reprehensible people who will sell you genocide with a smile on their face because this ties exactly back to these are the people who are selling uh, missiles and tanks in order to kill children overseas. I remember I bring this example all the time because this to me was the most disturbing example of corporate sociopathy. Uh, during the Iraq war, I believe this was on CNN, there was some executive um, talking about you know the upcoming campaign against uh, um, Baghdad. And they were talking about the shock and awe attack that was gonna be imminent. And he said, if you have to ask, it's not shock and awe. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. You're, you're presenting this like, if you have to ask if this is the biggest bouquet you've ever seen, it, you know what I mean? It's like shock and awe means an entire city population, I'm sure many of whom were loyal to Saddam or were bad people, I'm sure many of whom had blood on their hands, but also thousands, if not tens of thousands of children, tens of thousands of innocent people, if they're not terrorized, then we haven't done our job. And he had this big smile on his face and you knew there was this big whiteboard and he had sat down with the Department of Defense and talked about how awesome it's gonna be that for 24 hours it would be stronger than the sun and everyone there would be so terrified they'd be literally crapping their pants and begging for a surrender. And it's like, you are literally a demon, um, you know, selling death and destruction and with a smile on your face and have no concept of anything remotely close to humanity. It's crazy that these people get into positions of power. It's not crazy because it's like it's the same way that, you know, uh, child predators are going to go where the children are. They're going to be drawn to where their talents are of use. How much of it do you think is innate and how much is a feedback mechanism from the position that they need to be in and the things they need to do once they get there? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. I could I could give an answer, but it'd be completely it's talking science. out of my ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Melissa Chen tweeted the other day about how China's, oh, China's mandatory app for health monitoring. Do you see this? No. Oh, bro. Uh, China is requiring a mandatory health app that is ostensibly for health monitoring for all Beijing Olympics participants, media, and government officials. As you'd expect, it turns out to be spyware that records everything said. Have fun at Beijing 2020. And she's quote tweeting a guy who is a programmer saying, after reverse engineering all of the Beijing 2020 app for iOS and Android, I can definitively say all Olympian audio is being collected, analyzed and saved on Chinese servers using tech from USA blacklisted AI firm iFlyTech. Well, they should be looking at like all sorts of really bad porn so that all those Chinese censors send them, uh, yeah, sell them a dummy. Gonna yeah. see, I'm going to see all this iconography or just start Googling June, uh, uh, um, June 4th, 1989. What's that? Tiananmen Square. Right. Wow. I don't know, man. There's just all of this stuff. There seems to but be. You know what? That's what I would do. I'd wear Tian those Tank Man t-shirts. Just see what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to marry across stuff that like that is, you know, because presumably those apps are probably going to be able to hold on to your phone even after you've deleted it. Of course. I'm some... sure they're going to clone it, get yep. a, get a, get a uh, an image of it rather. Yep. And you'll then, if you message somebody else, perhaps, I don't know, I, I'm not sure how secure Android and iOS can be, but not sufficiently secure to avoid being a spyware app for a health monitoring thing. The, but, there's no way they're not going to get all your contacts immediately. That is a real scary new story sure. meanwhile the press is focusing on whether joe rogan's last podcast had the right balance on it or whether stuff that he said 12 years ago really matters like uh, the press also doesn't like telling stories where they can't paint themselves as victorious so there's a guy here in austin named cody wilson and he's behind 3d printing guns so how it works is you have a 3d printer in your house and you hit print, and a certain amount of time later, you have a gun that's unregistered and untraceable. Now, they've tried to pass laws around this, but the laws have no efficacy because he's not selling guns. He's selling files. And a 3D, you're going to ban 3D printing. That's not going to happen either. So this is something that's not given – it's called an organization called Defense Distributed. This is something that's not given wide parlance because the conclusion is there's nothing we can do about this. And that makes them look very, very bad because what they're selling is 
at corporate media outlets will present a problem and in the next paragraph they will present the best solution which is so them. right away which is them or someone who's uh, you know in power uh, in part thanks to them so right away me if i'm going to be a well read person i'm going to hear a problem and i'm going to advocate for this solution uh, with all my force with articles like this now he's gotten some coverage but it's nowhere near as big as you would otherwise expect there's no solution so they what they try to do is they try to say well if a gun if this is like 15% of a gun that's legally counted as a gun he's like okay here's the file for 85% of guns so th there's no way that they can kind of legislate around this even definitionally um and again this is not something cuz again if you sorry I keep saying that if you watch CNN I can't have a 5 minute segment where this is something so complicated with no resolution without the viewer leaving like, okay, I know what to think now. Dude, I saw a story the other day of a guy who had worked out how to 3D print a 3D printer. Oh, yeah. far too clever. Way, way, yeah, yeah. way too clever. That guy needs to be locked up. What are you drinking? How big is that? Arizona. It's my macros. So This is for Megan. This is for Megan McCain, Arizona, baby. <laughs> for the people who've never been out drinking with Michael Malice and grabbing soft drinks, you are one of the only people I know that chooses to rip the ring pull off the top. Yep, there it is. That way I know it's my bottle. Who else is in the room with you? Like if I'm at a party and everyone has a beer. But you're not, at, you a, you're not at a party. Well, this is just a throwback to college. <laughs> it's just part of that. You were getting accused not long ago of the reason that your uh, headphones were tangled was because you were just a, a straight up chaos merchant and yeah i feel like i feel like this just plays into that how is this chaos more. it's it's order i know which one's mine i'm unsure but yeah the guy could uh, 3d print a 3d printer which is pretty concerning but it, so the, the main thing that i've taken away from today is that the press themselves are an entity with their own agenda which uh, duh. not the, I, can i interrupt you yeah not a bias an agenda Everyone knew that they had a bias. That's inevitable. We're going to have a perspective yes, yes. that they have an agenda. What's the difference? Because a bias is, okay, I'm going to look at this story from a, a labor point of view or a liberal point of view, conservative or a Tory point of view, as opposed to I am writing this story because I want people to feel a certain way. My goal isn't to inform. My goal is to manipulate. My goal is to affect social change. That's scary. Why? Because they influence the opinions of so many people. Sure, but those people are, it's one mind in many persons. Mm. Yes, but it is a very large swath of the population. I, 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 keep on, I keep on thinking about this. The more that I dig into whatever you want to call it, the heterodox sphere of sense-making or whatever the less that you can see how norm, normal people view the media that they consume. You know, vast majority of people, probably the first time they ever heard of Joe Rogan was when the Spotify deal went through, and then the next time might have been this week. You think, okay. No, the next time, no, no, it was the Spotify deal, then Joe Rogan's irrelevant because of the Spotify deal, because they tried to sing that song for a while, remember? That no one cares what he thinks anymore. And then it was Joe Rogan is an existential threat to America because he doesn't want people to get vaccinated, which he never said. Rudy Giuliani was on the Fox's The Masked Singer. Did you see this? No. Unmasking of Rudy Giuliani on Fox's The Masked Singer prompts judges Ken Jeong and Robin Thicke to walk off in protest. Uh, Rudy Giuliani was unmasked as an exiting costume contendant in last week's taping of the first season seven episode of Fox's popular primetime show, The Masked Singer. The show is known for its jaw-dropping surprises when celebrity contestants shed their headpieces after they were eliminated. The reaction to Giuliani was perhaps the most polarizing the show has seen since 2020. The Masked Singer... Sarah Palin. Yeah, The Masked Singer was another Republican politician. Sarah Palin was unveiled as the bear. I'm glad that we've got clarity on what character it was that she, uh, she decided to feature. I think in. she did Baby Got Back. <laughs> I'm pretty sure... So it wasn't just that it was Sarah Palin, who I'm sure has a perfectly fine I, sitting voice. I wouldn't put that past her. But I think, yeah, it was Baby Got Back. 
I love how, so this is from Deadline.com. Deadline.com uh, mention, we aren't revealing which costume Rudy wore or what his swan song was. His exit won't, won't air until next month, so he can still revel in his reveal. The theme of the new season is the good, the bad, and the cuddly. Your political affiliation determines which category Giuliani fits into. Deadline hears the watch young and thick exited. They eventually returned. Fellow judges Jenny McCarthy and Nicole Scherzinger remained on stage. They bantered with Giuliani, a controversial figure for blah, 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 blah. Fox did not comment. Uh, yeah, Rudy Giuliani on... I mean, that's from White House to Shite House, isn't it? Well, I mean, he's been uh, really lost a lot of credibility among Republicans for how he handled... Um, the Trump election in 2020. Uh, he kind of made a big ass of himself. And I know there was one press conference where, where his hair it. dye started leaking down his face. <laughs> was that the same one where he booked it outside of like an air conditioning factory? Did you see that? No. Oh, dude, this is the so good. So I can't remember. He'd, he'd booked it for a particular location. Let's say um, the, the Palm or West Palm something or whatever. Uh, and it turns out that the location that they'd booked was the some air conditioning factory. So all of the press had turned up and it wasn't at some grand hotel to give this big reveal about some important shit. They were just stood outside of like some middle America fucking workplace and they just decided to go ahead with it rather than trying to change it and pivot it to like Havana Club West or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They went to Havana Club air conditioning creators. Um, so yeah, it was a, how would you say catalog of errors uh, culminating in him now being on the master senior which is important yeah and he's really old at this point isn't he like almost 80 if not 80 they used that um, photo of him with the the hair dye uh falling down the side of his face as well which does look pretty scary he's 77 yeah he's so he's older than biden is he fucking hell yeah, yeah biden is i think 76 uh, he's 77. Biden is no Biden's 79. I apologize, but I mean they're comparable there. How was the night that I missed at the Tesla factory? Because we haven't we haven't got to speak about this. Oh God, talk about imposter syndrome. You know, I'm there with midnight with Jordan Peterson, Elon Musk, and Joe Rogan. Michaela was there, of course, who I'm pals with. Um, and if you had told this, the factory is gigantic. I've never been a factory that big. Giga, Giga it, factory, right? Is that what it's called? I, I don't know. I think it's so. like a Tesla drive or something. But if you had told me that there was, because it's very brightly lit, right? And Austin is not bright at night because there's not a lot of street lights, like back in New York, obviously. Um, and I'm sure Newcastle, it might be the same way. If there, if you, there, and there's people there at like midnight, like, who are they? Like, what's going on over there? And if you had told me that, um, like one of these rooms had a UFO that they were reverse engineering. It very much felt like Independence Day when they were doing that. And I was like, can I, who can I look at? Who can I talk to? I was very, um, this is, it was kind of almost like being like North Korea. Like when you're in North Korea, uh, you're there, you're like, this is not my place. Like I don't belong here. So you really got to be on guard about what you say, look at or do and make eye contact the whole time. So when I was there, even though I'd, I'd been invited and cleared, I was still like, all right, like, am I allowed into this truck? Can I take a picture of this? Like, I, I was just so scared. Fun, though. Uh, I don't know if that would be the word. It, it, mind awe-inspiring. Why not fun? Nervousness? Yeah, I just, I couldn't let my guard down. Did you get to meet Elon? Because you were there when he was recording his Babylon Bee thing, but... Yeah, I didn't get to talk to him. Um, we all hung out after. I, I didn't want to be that guy. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I just spent time talking to the Petersons and Joe. Cool. There was a story that I read the other day about a SpaceX rocket on a collision course with the moon after spending almost seven years hurtling through space. So the booster got launched in 2015. It was doing some shit. And then uh, it ended up in a very chaotic orbit and uh, eventually it's going to hit the moon. And it's not going to be a big deal, but uh, space fanatics look forward to seeing what lessons can come from it. Went through its Lagrange point, a gravity-neutral position, four times further than the moon and in direct line with the sun, and then the rocket's second stage is going to end up falling into it. So Elon is uh, also getting rid of his rockets by hitting them into the moon. 
Okay, cool. The, uh, America, uh, the Earth's garbage pit. The moon. Yeah, the Earth's garbage yeah. pit. Uh, what have you got coming up? How's everything else with you? Uh, I'm writing about um, the Holodomor now, so that's uh, not that? very fun. That's when Stalin starved millions of Ukrainians. Um, and, and it was the most disturbing part is if they ransacked your house and you didn't have any grain, that's how they knew you were hiding it, right? That's the logic. So you better freaking find it. So they'd go search your house during the day, search it again at night. Um, if they would just burn people's houses down, throw them in the street, including whole families naked uh, in the middle of winter, uh, break people's hands in doorknob, in door jams, things like that. Um, and the thing is, if you weren't starving, your own body betrayed you because they could look at you and see, oh, you have food and you better fucking hand it over. So this was, and it was covered up by the Western journalists at the time who said there's no famine and this is just anti-Russia propaganda. So going through that, writing about it for the next book is, uh, uh, it, it's, it, this is not a particularly insightful thing to say, but when you hear about, you know, children being starved to death intentionally, it, it does a number on you. Do you and find I've it, been working. I was going to say, is it emotionally draining to write that stuff? Yeah, especially because, you know, many of the people who covered this up were never held accountable to this day. And also the fact that this is in public knowledge, the fact that you were like, what's that? I mean, this, this is a, a, a complete atrocity, crime against humanity, um, just awful, awful thing. And uh, it's just, it's also, it's heartening to know that this is going to be widely read and that I get to kind of, uh, you know, advocate for these people and and give them their testimony. This is where I'm from, so it kind of knowing this is in my DNA, also kind of hits a little close to home. But it's it's rough. I learned about uh, Pol Pot had a oh yeah he had a a series of situations where anybody who wore glasses was immediately killed because yeah. people that wore glasses were part of the intellectual bourgeoisie. Or, or didn't have calluses on their hands, I think was another one. They killed a quarter of the population in like less than a decade. Fucking hell, man. And that's so recent. It's just, you know, when you see all of this stuff pieced together and the fact that you've got... Yeah, it's the 70s. This isn't, this isn't like 500 years ago. This is the 70s. Why is it, do you think, that we've forgotten just how brutal people can be? Is it just that memories are short? Do we believe or has the world believed at large that we've transcended the nasty parts of our nature because we've become so enlightened with technology and convenience and stuff. Because what's the narrative with Pol Pot? There's the, the media can't tell you anything. We didn't do anything about it. I don't know that we could have done anything about it. Um, so when there's no story, corporate America likes to have a story. Everything's going to be fine. You're safe. Just listen to us. And here's a st example where that was not the case. And it's like, well, like the Korean War. We talk about World War II, we talk about the Vietnam War, the Korean War was a draw, so no one talks about it, because there's no story there. Even though the entire Korean Peninsula was devastated, the Korean people were just decimated, both north and south, but there's no narrative. But what so about... So again, what the about media the, wants to sell a story, they don't want to sell information. What about the people that just exist, normal day-to-day -day people? I think, like, if you were to suggest to them that this is something that could happen again, most people would say, no, 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 of course not. We're past that now. Or no, it's also that the Russians are, Russians have always been treated as basically Martians um, with some good reason. I think the Russian psyche is very different from the Western psyche. Um, but also it's, it's hard because there was no photographs. So it's one thing when you see it, it's another thing to read about it. If I tell you a sentence I saw a pile of starving of kids starve to death. Okay, you can read that sentence. It's 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 tough. If I show you a picture of me standing in front of this, this is a whole other situation. Michael Malice, ladies and gentlemen, people want to keep up to date with what you're doing. Where should they go? To the psychiatrist.